This episode of the AFFI podcast brought to you by the Firefighting Depot. The Firefighting Depot is a firefighter and family-owned company. Their aim is to offer the very best to the service. They're passionate about their product listings and work continuously and very hard to improve upon them every chance they get. Their motto is that firefighters deserve the best and they are on a mission to provide it. Visit the website. That's thefirefightingdepot.com. Um, if you go on the website, you'll be able to find a automated service. I'll give you a 10% off code. And I know they're pushing a, a whole list of products. Um, what do they got over there, Vince? They got those Honeywell boots. Those are real nice. Uh, the Viridian fire gloves. I'll tell you, those Viridian firefighting gloves, um, I've, they've got some great names. Uh, <laughs> oh, here, here we go. Uh, one of them, we got the fire hog, which... <laughs> That's, uh, you're, you're going to want to look out for that one, um, especially at the bar late at night. There's, there's also, um, actually, their most state-of-the-art glove that they have is the Fire Knight, um, which, again, very, uh, really interesting product that I'd love to see more of. Uh, they've also got, uh, how about for ro- hose straps? They have the Fire by Trade, the hose straps for high-rise packs. Yeah, that's they have big reflective tape there, right? and then the Velcro, you, you put it all together and... I think they it up to two and a half. Yep, yep, up to two and a half inch hose. Um, it'll work great on your high-rise packs. Um, so again, make sure to visit thefirefightingdepot.com. You can visit them on Facebook. They're super responsive on there, um, so feel free to, to reach out to them there. And again, make sure to take a look at that 10% code when, you, um, when you're checking out their website. Firefighter and family-owned, Illinois-based. They, ha- they literally have everything for the fire service in their uh, catalog. So... Anything you need from tools to apparel, you can get it at uh, firefightingdepot.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fire and Iron Media Studios, home of Chicago's Bravest Podcast, and now the prestige worldwide doing business as the Associated Firefighters of Illinois Podcast. Uh, with me, as always, is Luke slash Timothy. Say hello. Timmy's here. Hello. Hey, Jerry, what episode are we on now? We don't, so the numbering was all screwed up for those of you who've been listening. So we, we I think this is number four. Four, but I we just make shit up. This is like number seventy three. This is episode seventy three of the Associated Firefighters of Illinois podcast, starring your two amazing hosts. Um, and the reason why we call ourselves Prestige Worldwide, and we're going to reference the Catalina wine mixer at some point during this podcast. Boats and hose, <laughs> boats, and the fucking Catalina wine mixer. Um, is we have been getting a lot of really good feedback, but we have had people like we had people downloading our podcast. From Belgium, that's, I think we. That's right. That's right. <laughs> all is, across the United States, Belgium. That is a true story, and all across the U.S. Right? Yeah, there was actually three listeners in Belgium. There's probably the same guy, but there was three listeners. I'd like to think that there was, you know, some Belgium Belgian fire nerds out there, and they just were super bored and said, "Hey, what are these guys in Illinois doing?" And they downloaded it. So it's pretty, and it's really amazing too, because I like the little Google thing at home. And I said, hey, Google, play the AFFI podcast. And it did it. Like it knows how to find us. And we, we're, we're, 
We're this is the real deal. We this is exploding. We're amazing. We probably really <laughs> jinxed ourselves, and this is the end of the line. This is the last episode. You guys suck. It's over with. Yeah, Chuck's, uh, Chuck's here uh, babysitting us today. Why? Chuck is here. He's the specter in the background, and he's the adult in the room, which is really frightening if Chuck's the adult in the room. So he's on the he's on the casting cut. You'll hear He'll be yelling from the background. You'll be able to hear him. Um, so actually, one of the things that uh, – so again, if you have any uh, ideas for topics, please get a hold of us. It actually has been really great. I, I'm getting I get like random like text messages and like the the Facebook messenger things from all around the state like some backstep somewhere like you do a really good job thanks keep it up so we've been really getting positive feedback as long as people keep listening we'll uh, we'll keep doing it right so yeah and I think uh, we made a positive impact on Malin Mitchell's race too with our last episode we so. did he shared it with the uh, with the world um, we're a little upset we wanted he was gonna have us moderate his debate yeah so we're still waiting on that one yeah so. his his competition wouldn't debate him so right the debate that was supposed to happen so we'll we'll see but yeah i think it, it's i mean if when he wins it's because of us oh for sure 100 percent. for sure would, other than this podcast he loses terribly right and he owes us a visit after he wins he does because as gp first episode yeah, I was with us. right. You take the oath, gets on a plane, comes here, does the podcast. You have to have, to have your priorities. That's so. right. That's right. So speaking of our, one of our first podcasts, because we don't know what episode we're on, uh, we had talked to Chuck, uh, of course. It was the natural first episode. And he, he, had, uh, he did a rundown for us of just kind of the organization of the Associated Firefighters. And if you guys recall from listening to it, one of the things that we – um, talked about was the importance of legislation and how the Associated Firefighters tracks legislation and introduces legislation and monitors it and helps to shepherd it through the process or maybe uh, is opposed to particular pieces of legislation and all of the work that is done to make sure that the final product is something that is supportive of the uh, Associated Firefighters. Uh, and to that end, um, two really amazing people that work for the Associated Firefighters, the, the ledge reps, your elected ledge reps. So uh, again, for, for all of you out there in Radio Land, there are three elected legislative reps, Southern, Central, and Northern. Uh, Chicago has their own ledge rep because they are uh, the, the, the massive state of Chicago. So and they have their own set of issues uh, in conjunction with the statewide. Um, and we have two of the ledge reps uh, with us from the northern and central district. And we thought that this would be a really good opportunity to talk to them about um, how they work, what they do, um, in, in what they're kind of seeing and what reading the tea leaves maybe over the next year or so. Uh, we may have our Chicago ledge rep, Joe, um, um, stopping by or calling in. Maybe not. I, I think he was very busy and hung up on some other legitimate Chicago-related issues, so I don't know if the timing is going to work out that he's able to be here. If, if he's not, then our Northern District Ledge Rep will introduce in a minute, I think, can jump in. Um, but he wanted to be here. I, we just don't know if it's going to be uh, – uh, it's going to work out with the schedule. So we have these two super Green Bay – Green – I can't just believe I just said Green Bay. Yeah, so, what, where did that come I'm from? I'm so fucking glad they lost. It was the, mo- it was the best. And you still haven't hit that whiskey over on the side yet. We haven't – we're going – yeah – 
It's just you know what it is. It's because I'm afraid of what we're gonna say. Like if you you can't put <laughs> you can't put a microphone in front of us with hard alcohol and not be indicted, right? Like, <laughs> so you know we'll see. We'll see one day what happens. But we have our our two um, uh, again fantastic ledge reps here. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves to immediately to my left. You handsome young man. Who are you and why are you here? Good evening, guys. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, Jeff Maher. I'm the Central District Legislative Representative. I represent the area from about Mendota down to Menard County and then from the Mississippi River over to Indiana. It's about 18,000 square miles, 33 locals, 1,100 members. Uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about what we do in Springfield during session and uh, some of the bills that we have coming up on the table and give you guys a good summary about lame duck. Cool. And your home local is actually one of the locals I represent, Galesburg, right? Local 555. 555? In the house. Fantastic. All right. And to your left, dashingly handsome. Look at this guy. I mean, adorable. Yeah, I told him recently I'd take him home for the night. <laughs> I mean, this guy could put a bill through or kill a bill just with by just the look of those adorable eyes. Is this light? Bat those eyelashes. It is amazing. <laughs> Who are you, young man? Welcome to the party. Well, I'm embarrassed now. Uh, my name is Steve Shetsky. I'm the Northern District Legislative Representative, representing everyone north of Jeff's uh, area. We have 155 locals in the north, including Local 2. And today I'm here to first and foremost identify that I am not in any way associated with being a fan of the Green Bay Packers, which you had a little Freudian slip there. Wanted yeah. to be on the record. I'm a Chicago Bears fan through God. and through. And let's make that known. I know... Uh, week or two ago, Malin was on. He All, said he was a Bears fan. Also a Bears fan. Yeah, and we told him straight up, so we're not editing that. We don't know if that part's going to cost you votes now, but it's not going <laughs> to happen. Like, you, I didn't know that about him. He was a Bears fan. So, yep. you know, vote common sense, I guess, right? Uh, so and so you are 150, and then same thing. It's it's Lake Michigan out to the Mississippi, and then how far south uh, is, is it? So where do you guys, where do you guys touch? <laughs> Mantino? Mantino, yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, hop out of political activity. All right. So, <laughs> so, and then give me a little bit of a background. Oh, I'm sorry. And your home local is? I'm with uh, Lincolnshire Local 4224. Yeah. And that's how many years for you in Lincolnshire? I'm in my 15th year there. All right. And then, Jeff, how many years in Galesburg? 12. It'll be 13 in August. 13. And then we have, can somebody give us the amazing background of our Southern District? ledge rep who's not here today richard martin is our southern district ledge rep he is actually our uh, pack chair and he has i believe six i think he's in his 16th year as a as the southern district legislative representative and then how many years i think is it murfreesboro correct yes yeah and how many years he's got it he's well over 20 he's retired yeah i mean okay he's retired if he was when did he retire because I, I i didn't know one way or not a couple years ago yeah, a few a few years ago, Chuck's yelling in the background. So okay, and then obviously Joe Sinorski, uh, Chicago, uh, the local to their political person, uh, and hopefully he can he can make it. And if not, we understand. So, all right. So again, these are not appointed positions by the uh, executive board. These are elected amongst the membership. Correct. Correct. Right. Yep. And I think this is there was a little bit of a change. This was both your first terms uh, as ledge reps. Correct. Yep, Jeff was elected February 9th, 10th, 10th, way off, sorry, okay. in 2020, and then again in June of 2020 at the same convention that I was elected. Yeah, okay. And you, I mean, that's 
This is the Pat Devaney seat, the Chuck Sullivan seat. There's some shoes. They're big. These are big legends, shoes. legend giants among men. First among equals. All true. Chuck's not even paying attention. He's just like texting in the background. He's not even. He's ordering a pizza. <laughs> he is texting people, telling them how stupid we are. Yeah, he, he actually just said, "Don't download this. Just don't. It's terrible." Okay, so, um, so let's talk about the process. So, as as ledge reps, let me just ask like a series of really dumb questions so that I understand it, and then everybody out who there who isn't familiar with the process uh, understands it. So, how do you? What do you do? So, your first day, what what's the job? What are you doing? Yeah, so I think primarily you have kind of a campaign season in what you're working with. Uh, elected officials in in uh, you're out there supporting those that support us to get elected and reelected those that have proven track records of supporting us and supporting labor um, and for for individuals that don't have records ones that have demonstrated the knowledge and understanding of the things that are important to us and important to labor um, we work we work real hard during those seasons uh, every day with those guys to get them in office but then once we're in Springfield um, the the process typically looks something like our offensive strategy of, of passing legislation as you take it to, you know, it begins usually by convention resolution. That's our members bringing those initiatives to us. Then we'll go through the process of drafting legislation with the Legislative Review Bureau. That's kind of a back and forth until you really get the final product that you're after, working to secure sponsors and co-sponsors, and then you're working with committees to get them out of committee to the floor and ultimately for, for passage in that chamber to go to the next one. Once uh, it passes both chambers, it goes to the governor, and when he signs it, then you got yourself a law. Sure. And then you, just to kind of break that down, it really is like two, I kind of look at it, at it as two avenues. So when Springfield is in session and the legislators are in session, you're down there getting bills passed. But in addition to that, all of our ledge reps on our behalf are also identifying and working to keep help keep people in office. So there's really two avenues. Does that kind of make sense? Is that a fair way to put it? Yep, you're exactly right. They're two separate but parallel paths that we have to make sure we're, uh, we're walking in, in control of at all times. You know, I think what really separates us as firefighters and our profession is that we not only, you know, endorse and support candidates that are going to support firefighter issues specifically and, and incumbents that are have a proven track record, like Jeff said, of supporting us, but we also you know, don't just, you know, hand them a check. We knock on doors, we make phone calls, we do the, the groundwork to get them elected in the first place. And, you know, I, I take great pride in all of our 15,000 members and what, what we do with that. Yeah, well, Chuck, one of the things that Chuck had identified on the, one of the earlier podcasts, episode 35 or 40, I don't, we don't really know. But one of the things that he had identified was, you know, making sure these individuals are in office so that, as a corollary to this, you have an opportunity to get legislation passed or to potentially stop legislation that is going to be extremely harmful. So I want to take the first avenue, which really I think is the election avenue. Um, I mean, I don't know, it's stating the obvious, but just to reiterate, the nice thing about the Associated Firefighters has always been, and I want to make sure that we make this clear for everybody who's listening, is that the Associated Firefighters doesn't really know any political affiliation. It is always those individuals who support us, we are going to support, whether you are Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Socialist, Green Party, it doesn't really matter. Uh, is that 
am I getting that correct? That, that, that has been the mantra that's been drilled into us for years, and, and it's something we should talk about. Absolutely. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, uh, we're going to talk about some bills in a little bit here, but the very first phone call I made to try to get a sponsor on one of our issues was a Republican representative in the House. The second one was a, a Democratic Republican or a Democrat in the House, and, you know, that's irrelevant to what our issue is, you know. They have indicated they support our issues. They have previously supported our issues. And then they put their money where the mouth is and they support our issues. Sure. Or if they don't put their money where their mouth is, then, you know, maybe we're supporting a different candidate the next time around. Exactly. And I think the Associated Firefighters has a pretty good track record, though, too. I think it's – is it – I don't remember a time it was a below 90. So, anyway, there's the endorsements that come out. And actually, let's talk about that for a minute. All right. So we've identified potential candidates. How do you guys do this as an association? So you have some state rep out in the Galesburg area or somewhere in your district that or somebody who wants to run for state rep that says, hey, I want to do this. What is the process in your role to determine whether or not they will get the highly coveted endorsement of the Associated Firefighters of Illinois? How's that work? Yeah, so that that would be two separate paths. We'll deal with with re-elections first, where we have a known history with the individuals that are in office, the incumbents. Um, We, I I know I've heard you guys talk about it in previous podcasts, but our data department um, does a tremendous job uh, disseminating volumes of information and tracking um, committee votes, House votes. We weight all of those votes, and we put all that information together to come up with a, a value, and that is going to be the candidate's voting record or the incumbent's voting record. And we take that into account when they seek support from us. We'll look and see how many times have they proverbially put their money where their mouth was and stood with us on issues that were important to us and our members. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, well, I just, so I want to stop for a second. So hold on. So uh, these bills, and I just want to make sure that everybody out there, because this podcast, you know, we knew that people were going to listen to it who go to every conference and every seminar and our usual suspects. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's a good thing. But it was also designed for individuals, like we said previously, who maybe are just driving the firehouse and want to understand and know what we do. So I want to stop for a second and talk about, the kind of the scorecard, the bills that are analyzed and introduced these, and I've seen them, we, I've reviewed legislation in my law practice, you know, et cetera, in conjunction with you guys. Some of these bills are, you know, like three, 400 pages. I mean, we're not just talking about, so for our listeners and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, this is a situation where like you guys are going through each and every page of potentially hundreds of pages of legislation that could be thousands of pages of legislation in a legislative time frame to see what affects us or what doesn't affect us, et cetera. I mean, I don't think I'm exaggerating when I'm saying that, but I want to make sure I got it accurate for everybody. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, to give you like some Sounds fucking awful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, to give some perspective, Ohio introduces about 300 bills in a given cycle or session. Illinois uh, puts out between four and 5,000 in that same time period. So there's always... Uh, I didn't know that. So in every legislative sh- session, there's between four and 5,000 bills introduced? Yes. Yep. Keep in mind, keep in mind a session is two years. Right. Right. So... 
in Ohio. Well, I mean, it's the mistake by the lake. It's Cleveland. Nobody, <laughs> you know, it's not really a fair. You know, I mean, right, whatever. Right. So, but I, I, I had some lost weekends in Cleveland. I, this is really weird, but I mean, it's a story for a different podcast. Um, so, two-year period, four to five thousand pieces of legislation, and every page is reviewed by the Associated Firefighters. Yep, that's what the legislative committee and the AFI president do. The four of us make sure we're all in the room and and getting through every page, every word making sure there's nothing that's slipping through the cracks that could be harmful to our, our profession. Yeah. And, and the bills change so quick. I want to, I mean, I think we're going to talk about it a little bit later on. Cause I want to talk about it, this story. So the, the new police bill that just passed, that was 700 something pages, et cetera. But that bill changed numbers like four times in like an hour long period. Like nobody could keep up with it and what it was. So those types of things happen, right? So sponsors switch back and forth all the time and it went from house bill this to house bill this. And you guys are just keeping track of all that instant real time as it happens. Yep. That, yeah. That's remarkable. Um, so real quick though, I do want to just stop and, and make sure everybody understands. Jeff started talking about the endorsement process and how we do yes. that, right? So before any of that happens, the AFI president sends an email to 225 local presidents because we do truly have local autonomy from top to bottom. And each of the 225 local presidents can identify a good or bad relationship they have with their current elected officials at the state level, whether it's their state representative, state senator, or congressperson. And we take their input at the top of that list as well. Okay. All right. And that, so that goes into the legislation that's introduced, who's sponsoring what, how friendly they have been or supportive they have been on our issues. And I guess for kind of a lack of a better term, it spits out a number of whether or not this person's favorable to us. And that drives, regardless of political affiliation, and that drives uh, the endorsements that then get sent out to all 225 locals. Yep. But okay. again, before any of that part happens, they get the initial ask for their input on it. So 225 yeah. local presidents get the chance and opportunity to weigh in. And so we have that in one column. We also have their voting record. If they're 40, you know, in the last general assembly or lifetime, 100, no, whatever their numbers are, you know, we know what that number is as well. And if it's an open seat or we don't endorse the incumbent, uh, there's a questionnaire that we'll send out to candidates. And it, again, just talks about firefighter issues specifically. So we don't ask them about social issues. We only look at, you know, our issues, our ability to collectively bargain, our retirement securities and, and the like, and ask their, their opinion on those specific questions to us. The last four or five years as, you know, as the country has seemed to grow a little bit more divisive politically, um, you know, a lot of times you'll hear the terms, you know, culture wars and social issues, et cetera. And I think, again, we talked about it before, but I just want to reiterate this. Well, we talked a little bit about this before when we had Chuck on, but I just want to, re to reiterate this. This is solely wages, hours, working conditions of employment. This is what we are determining when we come up with that score, Jeff. Is that is that right? Uh, it is. It's it's things that will directly, unequivocally affect our membership. Okay. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And you kind of had a nice segue into, all right, so we, we were talking about that process, but now it is an open seat uh, or now it is a, uh, uh, you're not backing the incumbent or whatever. And we're, we're, I suppose, seeking out candidates or candidates are seeking us out to determine if they're going to, you know, get our support. 
So what happens with that? There was a questionnaire. Kind of take, walk me through that process and how that happens. Who wants to take that one? So yeah, so we uh, Pride of Galesburg. We'll, <laughs> we'll send out the questionnaire to to all of these individuals, and on this questionnaire, it asks a lot of labor oriented type questions. What do you think of collective bargaining? What do you think of when you hear the word union? Things like that to try to get a concrete understanding of the background of the individual running for office. And this is also where it's instrumental that we um, get in and speak with the locals because a lot of times this individual will be someone that's active in the local chamber of commerce. Maybe it's a former a mayor. mayor, things like that, of course. So um, to get that insight, to capture that knowledge base and experience from our locals is critical to us making those decisions then. Okay. All right. And then with that comes the endorsement. How does that uh, how does that process work? How does the endorsement process work then to go from that start to, all right, here's the endorsement letter and you're the guy. I mean, what, what do you guys, what, how does that work? What is the levels of the AFFI that it goes through? So the endorsement process starts, you know, early, like I said, at the local level, and then the four members of the legislative committee will come together with all that information. We'll, you know, have a multiple hour meeting and, and go through line by line, race by race, every every race that's happening, and we'll review all those things. If somebody has an 80% voting record, but the local has an issue with them or doesn't support a specific thing, we'll reach out with the local again and we'll talk with them, see if you know we could get on the same side of things. At the end of the day, if the local is going to be for candidate A, we're not going to be for candidate B. You know, We're obviously representing our locals, so we would we would probably stay out of a race at that point. But yeah. uh, it's the four of us giving our input and our thoughts on it. You know, being brand new, I obviously look at the ones that have been here longer and ask them their opinion on certain things or ask them probably dumb questions to make sure I'm fully grasping a concept or an area, an, an issue that I might not have the background on, something like that. Mayoral races, aldermanic races, races, library board, sanitary districts, mosquito abatement. We don't have anything to do with any of that stuff. Or so including mosquito abatement, there's over 7,000 local units of government in this state. Oh. And we do not have the ability to weigh into all of those. So, again, we, A, stick to our issues, and, B, we stick to state-level races, whether it's state rep, state senate, congressional, or statewide. And we actually have a policy that says we won't, weigh in on mayoral or city council races or the like. But correct me, guys, if I'm wrong, unique to Illinois, our members, firefighters, can run for those local offices. We do try to work to support them in some of those areas, whether it be a city council, uh, county oh, board, yeah. things like that, because having our guys involved at all different levels of government is important. And you know, I'd really like our members to know that other states – that doesn't happen. Firefighters don't have that right being public. It's employees. prohibited by statute, correct? Yeah, and they they don't even get to put political signs in their yards. They don't get to donate to political candidates. So here in Illinois, we're very fortunate, and I think I think it's important to mention that our guys can get involved, and I think it's important to be involved at those levels if they're able to. Well, we've had uh, we got fire protection district trustees. We've had aldermen, uh, state senator. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, down the line, there's been there's people who've been elected. So absolutely. And then as far as boots on the ground, it is your guy's job to coordinate with the locals to have people go door to door and drop flyers and make phone calls and get petitions signed, all sorts of stuff. Is that correct? 
Yeah, the the AFFI is is grassroots origin by nature. A lot of the a lot of the work that we do that is most impactful for candidates is showing up with with twenty or thirty guys. Most organizations triple our size can't do that, and that means a lot to candidates because you know there are a lot of private businesses and individuals that can cut a hundred thousand million dollar check. That might not be in our repertoire, but we do have the ability to, uh, on any given day, turn out and canvas an entire precinct or block for an individual, and that and that means a lot to them sure. at the end of the day. Yeah, you're exactly right. We have 15,000 members, and there's over 900,000 members in, of organized labor in Illinois. So, like Jeff said, we don't always have the biggest check by any means, but we usually bring the most people to the party. And uh, Going back to that grassroots level and from a ground-up approach, we have 25 PECs, the Political Education Committee member members throughout the state. Uh, there's roughly five in each of the five AFFI districts. So they're kind of the point person for a campaign. They're the liaison. When we identify who our Tier 1 top races are going to be, then we assign them to a given candidate or oftentimes multiple ones, and they help call the locals in that area and get get the local support to come out. And they, they do an amazing job of organizing and, and scheduling those things. And obviously, Jeff and Richard and I and Chuck try to make as many of those as we can. And, and the PECs, they're the guys that are, are true, like, you know, Saturday at 8 a.m., we're handing out flyers here. And when you say Tier 1, you're talking about the, the races that we have deemed the most competitive that need our help, that are more crucial, that, you know, maybe there's somebody that's running that is – truly, truly uh, against what we stand for, and we've identified that this is an important race, correct? Yeah, exactly. You know, a lot of times there's additional information that we'll get along the way, and if somebody, if an incumbent or a, a new person that has a strong history of supporting our profession is going against somebody that, you know, wants to introduce right-to-work zones and, and things like that, <laughs> we would certainly make, make them a top priority yeah. Lincolnshire has a long and sorted history of right-to-work zones, If I leading the fight against it, as I recall. So that's funny that you mentioned that because I think one of the first times I ever met Jeff Maher, uh, he was a local president. When was, you were sober? When the two of you were sober? Or when? I don't know if we were sober. I'm, don't put words in yeah, my mouth. Whatever. But okay. uh, I don't even know what year that was, Jeff will. But I went down to Galesburg because they were facing some staffing cuts and – we had, gee, I don't even know how many people, a lot of people at City Hall and uh, packed the place and, you know, kind of did that. So then fast forward a few years, we had the right to work zones in Lincolnshire, which the firefighters were not a part of, but we were absolutely at the front of that line speaking our opposition. So for people, because this was a few years ago now, and there's some younger listeners that may not be aware. So this is actually a pretty good real world topic. Give us the two minute version of the right to work zones in Lincolnshire. So our former governor uh, was trying to pass right-to-work zones throughout the state yep. and uh, chose specifically Lincolnshire, in my opinion, for two reasons. One, he was close friends with the mayor, and two, there weren't any actual unions in Lincolnshire that were going to be affected because police and fire were carved out of the right-to-work uh, approach there. And remember, right, by right-to-work zones, this was the ultimately – psychotic idea that each individual political area in Illinois can pick and choose whether or not they could allow people to be organized 
or whether you would be right to work and be unable to organize. And the idea behind it was all of these little political subdivisions would be able to pick and choose if, if that's what they wanted. For those of you out there in Radio Land listening, the governor previous to Pritzker was very supportive of this, and they tried to pass this. Am I getting any of that wrong? You got it. Okay. That's exactly right. So uh, we had a, a town hall meeting. We had over 200 firefighters in this town hall uh, that we were not, again, included in any part of the right-to-work zone, but we were going to make sure they knew that we were not going to stand for that. So we had firefighters from Rockford and Elgin and all over Lake McHenry County. And then out of nowhere, Jeff just walks up. Hey, guys, how's it going? Did the door swing open and there was smoke? There was a smoke. Cape? It was amazing. It was like a fucking halo. <laughs> my, my voice wasn't that high either. But actually, uh, going back to, you know, having... <laughs> having friends in elected positions that support you and, and put their money where their mouth is. For an hour, I stood next to Congressman Brad Schneider at a microphone, and they refused to call on the congressman or myself and refused to let us talk. And there was a lot of local 150 operators in the room as well. And uh, at some point, I think they filed a lawsuit against, oh, yeah. against that. Oh, yeah, they did. So it was, it was a crazy night, a crazy uh, few months there. But yeah. Autonomous, by the way, right-to-work zones have gone the way of the dodo bird in Illinois, thankfully. <laughs> but I think that's – th I'm glad you brought that up because that is a really great segue into the type of legislation that could be passed at any moment if the wrong individuals are elected – uh, that are not sympathetic to uh, our values. And that is true. Yeah, that was, man, that was what? That was uh, 15, 16, 17, somewhere in there, right around 20. I right think 2014 or 2015. 15, yes, yeah, something like that. Time flies. Right. right? Exactly. Okay. Anything else that we should know? So I, I want to get to the legislative process and, and where you guys are just, you know, up for two days at a time, making sure that the bills are being passed or not passed, but as far as the election issues, anything that I'm missing or that anything that as far as shepherding candidates through kind of the process or is that, have we covered it? I, I would be happy to add a couple of things. One is that we're always only one election cycle away from having some of our rights diminished. And we have to make sure that we're always, you know, keeping our eye on the prize at the local level all the way up. We have to make sure that we're knocking on doors, we're making phone calls, we're electing and endorsing candidates that are going to endorse us. In 2022, we're going to have all 177 House and Senate seats up, as well as the governor and all statewide races are all, all up. So it's the new map will be done. Congressional races will be, you know, redistricted and redone. And yeah, well, and that's the 2022 Illinois free for all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. But Again, that's why we have to make sure when one of the PECs or a member of the legislative committee calls and asks if you can show up in two weeks on a Saturday for two hours, that you try to do your best to get there. I would also say that if you are currently paying into the AFFI pack, which our Constitution and bylaws recommends $5 a member a month, if you're, if you're not sure if you are or if, if you want to know more, ask your local you know, executive board if, if we pay into it. And if not, encourage them. If you guys do pay $5 a month, that's amazing, and we greatly appreciate it. See if you can pay $6. You know, we have locals that pay $7, $8. Local 506 is... Uh, I was just going to say, local 506, because what Loretto says is, if you participate in PAC, I will not talk to you and annoy you. So you don't have to listen to his voice if you pay PAC 
you know, into the into the pack. Right? I was always wondering how you guys did that. <laughs> that is it how makes we get total sense. That's how me. we get a hundred percent participation. You see him coming down the hallway. He's so annoying. You just start throwing the the like the you want to sign immediately so that he goes the other way. Yeah, and That's when you say a hundred percent, why don't you say who's Part of that hundred percent. Oh, from the chief town. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're pretty. Five hundred six is good. And there's other locals out there, but we pay. Uh, you know, chief down pays union dues. Chief down pays in the pack. All eighty of us. It's pretty fantastic stuff. So, but I, what? I, again, this show is is also designed. You like I'm calling it a show. <laughs> you already show. It, it, it's legit. <laughs> I don't. Worldwide. Is it legit if he's not wearing pants? I I'm not wearing pants. And I, because it's the bell, I blame the Belgians. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what I've been thinking this whole time of you as the cat in the zoom, like the attorney the other day, I could totally see it you is, messing that up. It is the greatest. I sent that to a million. If, if by the, so it's February 12th. I know everybody has seen this, but my God, if you have the opportunity to see the YouTube cat, attorney when he sits there and says, judge, uh, I'm ready to proceed. I'm a, I'm a person. I'm not a cat. I was like, like, a little pee came out. I was laughing so hard. It was, it was absolutely amazing. All right. So back to stuff that's not as important. Last, last point on, uh, on, on the election process. It's a great, great, great opportunity for any new members, any younger guys that want to learn more about the process. Um, a lot of times people will have the reservations. They don't want to go out and knock on doors and have those one-to-one conversations about things that they're, they maybe aren't real comfortable with. Um, and that's fine. But when you hear your local president or a PEC guy call you or one of us call and say, hey, if you can come out and, and uh, you know, hang some, some door hangers or can sure. you pound some signs, you know, you can spend two hours, create a tremendous impact, uh, not only for you and your local, but the AFFI as a whole. And it's, it's really easy to do. We usually grab a bite bite to eat afterwards and uh, hang out, get to know each other. It's really a great opportunity to get involved. So you can, I mean, you could do hours worth of work that you don't have to interact with another human. Is what you're is what you're saying. You can. When you yep. say bite to eat, my experience with this being since I was like 14 is just everybody goes to the bar afterwards. I mean, that's pretty much what we're talking about. We usually let them pick where they want to yeah. go. <laughs> so uh, it's but, local autonomy, right? Exactly. So. But to Jeff's point. If you if you don't feel comfortable doing that, we're not going to throw you in a, into the you know deep end and not help you. We'll we'll walk you through it. We'll have you come with us, and we'll show you how we do it. And it's again, it's not a, a big deal. I, I think people forget sometimes when they say they don't like to talk to strangers. We all literally get paid to go into strangers' house every day right. and, and strike up a conversation about usually why they called. But yeah. I mean, it's not that much different. It's easier for some people than others, though. You know, you open the door and Shetsky's there. The guy's adorable, right? I mean, you want to be like, what is he doing? Is he talking to me about politics? Is he selling me cookies? I don't, I mean, the, whatever the guy wants, he's adorable. So I, I don't know. I was trying to figure out with these two earlier what their like nicknames are or their name for the show would be Gumby and Pokey. <laughs> 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 Jeff is just, Jeff is just hitting buttons on the podcast. I, 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 won't, I won't say what we came up with, but it was pretty good. Uh, we will take suggestions for nicknames in the comments section of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. everybody's screwed up now calling me Timmy. So we might as well just keep on going down it the has, line. It has now gotten a life of its own. It's fantastic. Um, but so before we move on though, I want to talk about the pack. Because there are, I'm sure I'm a lot of listeners that are like, well, what the hell did he just talk about? And in addition to that, you know, what is it used for? Okay. So we have union dues, right? So everybody pays their dues. 
and and this is the pack that's paid is separate from that. So can you guys explain when you're talking about six dollars, you know, whatever the suggested thing is, what are you talking about, and then how is that used in addition to the dues? Well, you're fortunate enough to have our pack secretary or pack treasurer here. I know by the name of Jeff Maher that would be happy to explain. How that goes. Yeah. By the way, the the uh, the plastic that you're hearing rustling in the background is cans of beer being produced throughout the the podcast studio. So it's your time to shine, Jeff. Yeah. So anyone that contributes to the to to our PAC program um, and PAC means what? It's our political action committee. Okay. And it's separate. The internationally IAFF PAC is separate from the AFFI PAC. <clears throat> Okay. A common concern that we hear when we talk with, with our members throughout the state is that they are reluctant to contribute to the AFFI PAC because they don't support who the international supported for president or in another congressional race. And that's an important distinction before you even start getting into the weeds on any of it is that all of the AFFI PAC dollars that are contributed stay in Illinois. They go to races in every corner of the state to support people that support us. Well, and let me just stop there for a second because, you know, what, what the international does affects what we do and what we do affects what the international does, et cetera. But the IAFF, you know, we didn't come up, I mean, this, we're very good at this, but the, you know, the IAFF has its own similar, sure, yeah. So I'm trying to pick out which kind of whiskey I want, and that's what we're way more important. But the IAFF has their own ledge reps and PECs, and they do this on a federal level. So their Correct. analysis also is who on the federal level is going to support us uh, in the exact same way with wages, hours, and working conditions of employment. Unfortunately, we, there are members who don't like on a federal level who the IFF endorses uh, because, you know, maybe they're getting involved in some social issues. I don't know. It is, it is what it is. Sure. But so the AFFI pack is completely separate and distinct from the federal. So the AFFI pack that you guys are talking about, that is money that – is put into the AFFI pack that solely stays within the borders of Illinois for these races, correct? 100% okay. accurate. All right. And then how is that funded? So when he, when Steve was talking about the $5 a paycheck or something, like what does that mean? So those dollars that are contributed from our members come into our, our pool of resources. And when we go through the endorsement process and we have candidates that we're supporting, we separate them into different tiers of not – relative importance, but the ones that are likely going to be more competitive and draw draw in more financial resources from elsewhere. Oftentimes, you'll see private business and individuals that have the capacity to dump tons of money into certain races. Uh, and in those cases, if we have candidates that we're supporting and endorsing, they'll require a stronger, stronger financial presence in addition to the more boots on the ground that we're providing. So, By the way, our, fair, our friend that dumped the millions of dollars against the fair tax. Uh, what's his name? Um, how much money did he put in against the f Chuck? What was it? Ken Griffin. Yeah, Ken Griffin, right? And I think it was forty million, fifty million of his own money, fifty million dollars, something like that, of his own money 
to stop the progressive tax, which would have directly funded us for wages, hours, and working conditions of employment. If you're spending $50 million of your own money, what did you not want to go through? What were you so worried about? Maybe a different story for a different. Maybe he'll be on the podcast. You think we can invite him? Come on the <laughs> Firefighters podcast. So this money goes in. I think doesn't the state take a portion of that, and then some of it comes back to the local as well. How? What is the breakdown between the the AFFI pack? How is that distributed? So all of all of the resources that flow out of our pack are on a needs based analysis that the legislative committee, which is your four so elected representative, and okay. and and the president, and then based on those determinations that we just spoke about, that's how we decide where we're going to allocate those resources. Okay. All right. And, and just to kind of add on to that, so there's three layers basically. You know, Rockford is a prime example of a great local that has strong uh, understanding of being politically active from top to bottom, and that includes them having a good local pack. So they'll, they have their members put certain dollars. Because we have our own too. We yep. have our own borough. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm using Rockford as the one example, yeah. right? There's multiple. But Rockford will have a local pack that they contribute to their mayoral and city races because the AFFI does not typically do that. And then the AFFI has our own pack that we'll keep in our state with our state reps, state senators and uh, statewide office holders. And then the IFF does the same thing with congressional races and, and above. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys, I know we're speaking anecdotally, but that place is legit. Rockford, those guys have had some epic battles over the years. Rockford, your Elgins, those guys. Yep. They're definitely battle tested and, and they know what they're doing. Those guys are up against it for sure. Um, so, okay. So, the it would be very nice, and it would uh, sway elections in our favor if everybody was a PAC member. Hint, hint. Uh, reach out to your local president. I'm sure Loretto is will beat you down individually in incredibly annoying fashion if necessary. We can like pimp them out to go to locals <laughs> and just follow people around. Um, all right, so we talked about that, um, but I want to get into now the, the the legislative process, and I just kind of want to give everybody an anecdotal story. We were talking about this beforehand, and I said that I was going to bring this up. So, uh, what is that? A couple weeks ago, now we had the what I why we'll call the police bill pass, the seven hundred and fifty pages of, of 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 police bill, which passed, which um, it did not the no, I mean, very much. And those, their reps and uh, their representatives in Springfield, those guys were out of their mind working on this and doing the best job they could. They are very good at their jobs as well, et cetera. But what I want to uh, talk about is, and you kind of alluded to this with the three to 4,000 pieces of legislation. It's my understanding, because I talked to Chuck at the end of it, who I think was speaking Latin at some point, or I don't know what he was doing. But or just a series of tired grunts at the end when I was on the phone with them. But I think you guys were up third. How many hours were you guys awake tracking this bill that passed at like seven thirty in the morning in the veto session? I think we had a solid forty hour run. That Legit, was, like yeah, no yep. bullshit, like forty hours. Yep. So. That is for a bill that did not affect us, but potentially what came out of that could affect us down the road, et cetera. And you guys were up for 40 hours straight just on that. Correct. Okay. Uh, uh, we, so we went into lame duck uh, with the, the thought of getting our COVID presumption and PETA extension extended, right? It expired uh, December 31st, 2020. 
And it was already, you know, discussed amongst all of the AFL-CAO and the AFI president because it obviously has to do with various essential workers, not just uh, police and fire. So uh, they had already been in discussions with that, and that was going to be our top priority, making sure that our members that are, you know, on the front lines every day being affected by this and having to be quarantined and being exposed and some having lost their lives to it, uh, making sure that that was extended through June 30th of 2021. So uh, we are in the process of doing that. And to be fair, that was also part of the 40 hours straight. You know, sure. Because that bill ended up passing at 310 in the morning. Yeah. So It's not like you had anything going on. Right. This is a typical. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, well, so, yeah. So, th- but this bill, again, uh, had... I'm not going to say that it had nothing to do with us because I think that's that's too narrow and too myopically focused. But again, it is a very good example of depending on what goes on and what happens in all of these other bills, we are just one bill away from then being in a piece of trailer legislation. That, I don't want to oversimplify it, but that's yep. kind of where we're at. Absolutely. And you know, we'll always be opposed to any type of collective bargaining diminishments, and this is exactly what that bill – Amongst other things, in the original 611 pages, which ended up being 740 when it passed, uh, that was, you know, a main part of it. And that was what we were adamantly opposed to from start to finish. And at the beginning of that bill, like a lot of bills, it looked a lot different than it did when it passed. Oh, sure. Sure. Because, well, that bill, but again, you, you just said it. I mean, that bill was stripping collective bargaining rights. It was stripping uh, just cause uh, disciplinary arbitration provisions. I mean, the original version of that bill. Qualified immunity. Qualified immunity, uh, which certainly, if, I, if you're on an ambulance, qualified immunity is a good thing, uh, which certainly, um, I mean, there's the bill, the original version of that bill was devastating and 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 turned into something unfortunate but palatable, right? So, so I, I think that's a very good segue into that, uh, into what I wanted to discuss next, which was, um, when the bills get introduced, we're not talking about a, a group of individuals, you guys, that are, you know, at, at AFFI headquarters monitoring things or, you know, at the, at the office. You guys are literally physically at the Capitol, like in committee meetings, potentially like, you know, can I talk to you for a second, Mr. Representative? Like pulling people out in the hallway, talking to them about these bills. That, that is operationally what is happening here, Correct. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, that is from, from like soup to nuts from the committee process out onto the floor, et cetera. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and that's where a lot of the relationships that we build with these, with these incumbents and and new candidates in the campaign season is critical because there are thousands of people at the Capitol every single day. And there are Hordes of, of people that are trying to pull every single um, representative or senator off the floor or out of committee so they can talk to them about what's important to them. And just the sheer math of that doesn't allow for them to talk one-on-one with everyone while they're at the Capitol. But I can say in my limited experience that I've been there, they've always prioritized the AFFI and our representatives sure. and our members to make time regardless of the issue to come talk to us. So that's a that's a, um, a a tip of the hat to to everyone that has helped establish that um, reputation. All the individuals that came before us. So, and so the end product is. I think this is a good. 
uh, way to 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 go into that. My that my segues are so smooth. It's it, I mean it's like it's astonishing even for me. You know what I mean? Segways aren't smooth when you gotta keep saying segue, Jerry. Just saying. I watched a copper in town once flip off a Segway. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. This guy hit the curb and went flying. Nobody saw him on the job for four months. I'm surprised his gun belted just like the, the you know, like the Barty Fife that would shoot himself in the foot. It's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Anyway, nonviolent Segway. Let's talk about the bills that were passed in this past session and also the bills, if they're, you know, you guys are the experts, the bills that were killed. Sometimes it's addition by subtraction of keeping something out. Um, what were the highlights of this last uh, lame duck session? So the session, the 101st ended in a very unusual way because we were dealing with COVID. Um, a lot, it, legis the legislative process all but came to a screeching halt. And then we had a abundant amount of information we had to process and work through in the lame duck session. So a lot of the issues, not that they were front or back burner, but a lot of the issues for us had to be reprioritized. And the ones that came out on top for us were extending those COVID protections to our members um, and those, those PETA ones as well. So that's where our focus uh, was, was mainly directed at, and we were successful on both Which, of those fronts. By the way, a year ago when nobody had heard of COVID, those were not legislative <laughs> that's, priorities. That's correct. We were dealing, we were looking in other areas, but now. You got it. Yep. So... The, those two issues, the nuts and bolts of that for our members, what does that mean? What in terms of real protections? So in, in terms of COVID, uh, it's now added as a rebuttable presumption. So if one of Under our the members- the work comp statutes, correct. correct. Yeah, if one of our members contracts that, and that removes the five-year provision for other uh, heart-lung issues that would otherwise be required. So um, even our members, you know, day one on the job that contract COVID- it's now rebuttably presumed that that was acquired on duty. It shifts the burden from the employee to the employer to prove that they did not contract it on duty. And, and the PETA extension was really just for um, any individual if they you know tore up a, a knee or, or a shoulder, had surgery, and they had to complete rehab on a given timeline because of those COVID restrictions where they weren't allowing people to do outpatient things. Um, it just extended those provisions so they could continue on that timeline to recovery. That was the extra 60 days, correct? Uh, all of those are now through the end of June. Oh, through the so. end of June. Okay. All right. And just, so what else? What else am I missing? As, as so, those? I think those were the two big priorities. Included in that same bill, the COVID and PETA bill, uh, Chicago local two brothers and sisters don't have the same work comp benefits that the rest of us do. Correct. They also have a different article of, of their pension article fund. Article six. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Where the rest of us are article four. Uh, so they don't, they're not covered by that same presumptive part of it that the rest of us are, but included in this legislation allowed them to have basically line of duty death benefits for it. So having lost, I believe three members, you know, I was that, gonna say, it was it's sad because I know you don't remember, but it was like three members that yeah, day. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, in addition to, you know, us doing that, their political director, Joe Sinorski, who has a place at our office, it was Absolutely, part of that process too. Yeah, to get that to get that passed. So yeah. those were the two big ones, and again, just so that everybody out there can can or the three big ones. If those, just so everybody out there can understand in real world terms what that allows when the rebuttable presumption is passed and PETA is extended, that allows an attorney like me representing police officers and firefighters to go in and uh, you know file grievances or get guys lined up with work comp attorneys, and it allows us to put pressure use. Those bills that you guys passed on the employer for real world results. 
I've always said, you know, COVID is like the wild. It's, it's a lot of it's like, let's make a deal. And I've been able to settle grievances for, you know, I've had employers say, ah, it's a rebuttable presumption. Here's all your time. I've settled for, you know, 50 cents on the dollar for sick time. I mean, where you actually have like a hook into the employer because of these statutes that you guys have passed or have gotten extended, that you can have like real world results of protecting their sick time, protecting making this a line of duty injury, et cetera. So there are actual real world examples that were happening from you know April, May of last year on through these extensions of being able to protect our guys, protect their benefit time, make sure that this is covered as a line of duty or a work comp claim, get them the treatment when they uh, have, you know, longer term neurological issues, et cetera. So those are, that's real world examples of local after local after local that has benefited from that. Cause I've, I've done it every day uh, um, myself. So, um, so that is that session. Local two had a, vic- uh, yep. a huge victory also with, Correct. with house bill thank 2451. You. Yes, thank you. They were, they were previously utilizing an, an antiquated pension calculation formula that literally depended on what year you were born in. And that didn't reflect the practice they were doing. So that did impact negatively a lot of their um, funding, unfunded liability calculations. Yes. Um, so they were able to migrate away from that antiquated process. Now they're on a 3% simple. And that's a tremendous victory. Joe did a lot, a lot, a lot of work on yes. that. So he did a great job. Because before it was a random uh, multiplier based on your like, what either time on job or data. I can't remember exactly. I believe it was data birth. Data birth. Like like a, like born, a, yeah. yeah. So like for every dollar, you, they would put in a certain. It was just this random. It was like. Oh, a, you're thinking about the puck versus the actuary required correct. contribution. But this specific bill, what it changed was it said if you were born, if you if you and Luke both started on January first, twenty ninety, and you had thirty plus years on but you were five years older than them and you fell under this birth date that was previously in state statute. Correct. You would get different benefits. Correct. Even though you had the same time oh, on. C- correct, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, every, geez, I think it was ended up six or seven times they've gone back and changed the birth date to try to, you know, accommodate some of their to members. To get people in. But again, like Jeff said, that's not a proper way to fund your pension system when you know someone's going to get a benefit but you're not providing the right annual contribution for it. So they hopefully will be on better financial footing moving forward, knowing exactly, okay, these people qualify for this benefit and we have to make sure our actuarial required contribution is yeah. taking into account those benefits. Well, what Joe did, what the, what local two did, simple math, they're going to be better funded, right? I mean, that's exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah, yep. Exactly. So what else are we missing from this last session? Anything? It was kind of the big, like the highlights, right? Uh, what are we anticipating or expecting Going forward, what do you – so what can you talk about as far as what AFFI is planning on introducing or has is introduced going forward so, this year? So as Jeff mentioned, um, most times uh, our bill process starts at our convention. You know, through convention resolutions, the delegates will identify things that they would like to make a priority, things that they would like us to help pass into law, maybe – Everyone's or a lot of people are seeing a specific issue at the bargaining table and, you know, the other side's attorneys are using it against us. The law is not necessarily black and white or on our side and we need a legislative fix for it. So, again, oftentimes that starts at convention via resolution and then uh, there's various deadlines and timelines that go through it. But sometime in December we'll, we'll 
come together as a legislative committee, start identifying our top priorities and the things that were resolutions. We'll draft those, uh, you know, ourselves, and then we'll send it to, as Jeff previously mentioned, the LRB, the Legislative Review Bureau, which is a room full of attorneys that, you know, identify what we're trying to do, make sure it's in the right statute, saying the right things, and has the... And that's not an AFFI, that's State of Illinois, that correct. their LRB, yeah, yes. That's at the Capitol, like correct. we previously said, you guys are at the Capitol, that's physically at the Capitol pre-COVID times, and that's how that part starts. Yeah. So uh, we have some bills that, because of COVID, kind of stopped on their tracks, and then we had to reprioritize to make COVID presumptive issues and things like that. So some of the bills that we're reintroducing that we had introduced in the 101st General Assembly, but because of timelines and deadlines and switching priorities, just didn't see the light of day. Uh, we, have, we have a list of them, actually. I think there's six or five or six. Uh, one of them is to add MRSA to the list of uh, issues or illnesses in the work comp statute. Just because it sounds so nasty. Yeah. Right, like MRSA. It just sounds like, ugh. Okay, all right. Uh, if you can make that noise again in committee, we ugh, might actually ugh. testify. <laughs> why Why should you guys pass this bill, Jerry? Ugh, ugh, ugh. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, another one is actually for the Chicago firefighters. Last, last cycle at the uh, direction of brother Tim Howison over there. Luke slash Timothy. And in uh, and the... Labor History Committee, uh, they passed a legislation that said you, in essence, needed to be needed to learn about firefighter labor history in the fire academy. So you learn from the beginning, kind of where we came from and and how that started. Uh, and that did not include Chicago at the time. So now we're doing a, a trailer build that identifies Chicago members would also learn that in their fire academy. Okay. Uh, we're also going to do one that talks about supervisors being in the bargaining unit. So Battalions. Well, there's a, a wide variety, and, and I'm going to ask Jeff to help bail me out on this one, but the, the gist of it, as I understand it, is whoever sits in the front right seat of a fire piece could have multiple titles, right? I'm a lieutenant in Lincolnshire. Jeff's a captain in Galesburg, but we both sit in the front right seat and do the same job. So depending on your title shouldn't determine if you can be a member of the bargaining unit or not. Right. So I think this helps clear clear that up. To, does that sound accurate? Yeah, you nailed it. And there's even a variety of other areas where depending on how many companies you have operating out of a station and how your department, it's just there, there, there's a long laundry list of, of individuals that clearly uh, are, are supervisors or act in a supervisory capacity that we're trying to establish that, that general position and identify that it is entitled by, to by, be a bargaining unit. By position, because Correct. that has been in my fights with the labor board and, and you know, RC petitions and that, that type of reorganization. There, there has always been some, some fights there. As, who's a supervisor? Are you a company? Are you a supervisor over multiple companies? And that, are you a supervisor within the meaning of the act, et cetera? And, you know, you're, you're really not. I, I guess the traditional way of looking at it is the battalion chief that run, I mean, 
I know we're trying to get away, but just so that the audience understands. But, you know, a battalion is not a supervisor within the meaning of the act, right? Like, they aren't, like, disciplining people and they aren't, you know, directing and strategy overall the fire department. They're basically like, the last line guy that's on the street running calls, you know, etc. The fact that there's any push back to get these guys into the bargaining unit is kind of absurd. So I, I think we're on the same page. I know that we've been kind of dancing around this the same issue for the last couple of years, but that would be really, really nice to to offer protections because those guys get squeezed a lot. So, okay. All right, cool. Uh, yeah, so then uh, still still looking at bills that we're redrafting from, from the 101st GA. We have a 2% bill. Um, that we're just trying to clarify some things that we believe to already be true and then establish current statute allows for your your municipality for your 2% organization to to levy up to 2% of foreign fire uh, tax dollars that are in your community. Um, there are some communities that are not taking advantage of that statute and they're levying somewhere less than 2%. So instead of giving them that flexibility, and hamstringing the, the fire department finances. We're just looking to set that at 2%. Uh, also give the board standing in court um, and allowing them to, what, again, these final two points are, are what we already believe to be accurate, giving them standing in court as their own entity, not as a part of the, the larger employer, but then also allowing them to handle their finances as a board internally sure. where a lot uh, are still being managed and and to a certain extent controlled by the employer. One of our uh, Northwest suburb locals, uh, I think, is the impetus behind that one, right? That was, uh, yeah, that it just... I live in that town. Talk about just unnecessary in the part of the employer. I, I don't know. It, that, that one struck me as, like, you're fighting just because you can. I, I don't really know. Uh, yeah. You never want, like, a rule named after you. Remember, you know, the, like... The Marzullo rule, you know what I mean? Like, there's a few of those at the old fire department, but yeah, I, I understand. So, okay, so so what's next? Uh, we have another one. Uh, we have a statewide, the Joint Labor Management Committee, and uh, what what they do is a variety of things, but one of their the primary roles they serve in is certifying assessors. If you have assessment centers, the individuals that can come in and, and work with your local through that testing process. Uh, a couple sessions ago, we authorized that board to establish a statewide hiring list, mm -hmm. and they made a tremendous amount of headway in doing so. We only found one organization that could meet the needs for the testing process um, that was able to withstand judicial review. So as we were heading down that road, that company no longer exists. And so what we're trying to do is just modify statute to allow the JLMC to continue that pursuit, but it's not mandated in statute that it has to be done by any time period. So let's talk about the statewide hiring pool because we, Luke slash Timothy and I had discussions about lateral transfers and all sorts. So the statewide pool, this piece of legislation I'm less than familiar with because my legal part, you know, I'm dealing with the eligibility lists and the police and fire commissions, et cetera, the districts. But this one... Uh, it, operationally, this is just a statewide hiring pool that any municipality can opt in and pick candidates from. Is that is that correct? That's the it's kind of the gist the umbrella, of it, yeah. right? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, so that would kind of you know that obviate the need of of having a, a you know of each municipality spending the money running a test 
You know, when you look at the eligibility list, does it strike like do you guys like see the same like 150 names on list to list to list, right? It's like in West Central the same Illinois, pool. It's pretty, yeah, yeah, correct. yeah. So you could just do one big pool, hire off that list. I know there's other states that do that. You know, there's like there's other other states in the union I think that have that. So okay, and then I think is that it for our, our priorities, or is there is there one more after that? These these are still just bills that we're redrafting. Um, again, convention resolutions. We introduced those bills for, for two general assemblies. So the ones that we went over, and then this is the last redraft, and then we have some new bills that we're going to bring forward this time around. But the other one is just continuing to advance Tier 2 initiatives to make the disparity between Tier 1 and Tier 2 more equitable. This sure. bite at the apple, apple represents moving them from the lesser of 3% or uh, CPI or one-half CPI one half is, CPIU. Uh, is um, making it just a 3% simple. Okay. So it's closing that gap. Okay. I mean, that's not a full close of the gap, but that would be damn decent of a, of a close. Step in the right direction. Yes. So, I mean, the last Tier 2 legislation that came out was a great step in the right direction. So this is trying to build off of that. Which was included in Senate Bill 1300. Right. Also known as the, you know, pooling of investments. Yeah. Yeah. If, PIF, and, and yep. all of the acronyms. Yeah. So, but yeah, like, you're, like you said, there were some Tier 2 improvements made then. And... You know, every day we get more and more Tier 2 members joining our state association. And, you know, we're not at the 50% mark yet that I am aware of. But, you know, that's certainly a priority that we're always focusing on. And it's important for everyone to remember our current Tier 1 benefits didn't look the same as they do today 30 years ago when they were oh, enacted yeah. or introduced. You know, they're, you're constantly chipping away and trying to make improvements for our members. And we're absolutely doing that with tier two as well. In my career, there were improvements to tier one as a tier one member. I can remember it's changed like twice, you know, since I, since I got on. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I tell you what, for all the pension funds I represent, I don't think we've had a tier one hire and I haven't seen a tier one in a long time. So you're right. It's like, man, time flies, right? So, okay. All right. And then what new pieces of legislation are we talking about introducing? Well, one of the issues that uh, was addressed again in, resu- in uh, convention resolution and identified by numerous locals as, as an issue is every once in a while, uh, somebody will accidentally start in the wrong profession and they will be a police officer first. Right. As I've is- always said, why bring a gun to work when you could bring a pillow, right? <laughs> okay. If those are your two options, I yes. hear what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, we are introducing with uh, Representative... Rob, or Dan Ugasti, a bill that would allow you to, in essence, purchase your credible service that you earned in your Article Three pension in your new Article Four. From any Article Three pension. From any, exactly. We we previously had it to where you could do that in the same town if you started as a Berwyn police officer and then were hired by the fire department, you could buy back your police time. Correct. This is going to say if you went from being a Berwyn police officer to, to a, a Joliet Lincoln Fire, yeah, exactly. Lincolnshire Fire, yeah, yeah so yep. anywhere. Yep. So that's that's one of our our new introductions that we're working on right now. That would affect, I mean, I'm just kind of, man, I know multiple people that that would affect. That would be big in terms of being able to buy purchase time or service time. Wow. Okay. It's like a Christmas list. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. Like, well, what other little goodies, you know? Chuck Santa, Pat's Mrs. Claus. Uh, another, uh, Another bill we're introducing for the first time this year has to do with uh, last General Assembly, they passed Senate Bill 37, which has to do with secondary employment right. and identifying a primary and secondary employer. And that, in essence, says if you 
have an exposure or an injury or to just identify your annual hours worked at your secondary employer, that you need to send that to the primary employer's pension fund. Right. So this uh, trailer bill, if you will, would also require them to report that on an annual basis to the Department of Insurance. Okay. So no, now remember the big, there was the, there was, I remember the fight being, you know, whether or not there was going to be monetary transfers between, you know, from department to fund based on hours worked and pension time. This is not a monetary issue. It is, it is a separate reporting issue. So like my funds, I, I, I will have funds, you know, the little magic piece of paper, this guy works so many hours, whatever. Uh, but this also would be then reporting that to the department of insurance. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's it. Okay. Still no financial aspect to that bill. Uh, another one that we're going to be introducing for the first time, we're working with Senator Bush on this one. Okay. So currently, uh, our paramedics that are part of our, our groups, they can transport people to various places for various reasons. One example being if you identify somebody that meets the criteria to go to a level one trauma center, then you can bypass the closest hospital and take them there. Uh, if somebody meets the certain certain criteria to go to a, a stroke center, they can bypass the closest hospital and go to a stroke center. So we're working with Senator Bush on a bill to allow them to do the same thing for certain mental health crises. So sometimes getting dumped in the ER isn't in your best bet. It's not no. in anyone's best interest. And if we can identify places that we could take them in, in lieu of the emergency room, that might be better for all involved. Oh, so right to, instead of going to the emergency room, right to like a mental health treatment center or something like yeah. that. Yep. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Uh, I, I have a couple other ones that I'd like to, that I'd like to touch on. One's going to be PTSD presumption. We're working with representative Buckner on that. Um, it is just the, the, the gist that we're going to try to capture the mental health component that exists in the pension code and codify that in the work comp statute. So it, it covers, um, post-traumatic stress disorder as a presumptive. So post-traumatic stress disorder would be if there is a, a if there is a suffering of that or claim of that, it is presumed to be in the course of your employment. Okay. All right. That and then <clears throat> in the same vein, we have a placebo basic health insurance uh, bill that we're looking to move here in this General Assembly. And all that that does is eliminate the ability for an employer group to create kind of an ad hoc insurance policy. Correct. That is below what we would identify as a minimum standard in an attempt to provide cost savings to them and still meet the current statute. And that comes right out of the case law that is, uh, that is, is on the books right now in terms of an employer's ability to create the... $15,000 high deductible, you know, emergency room visits, like $40,000 plan. Correct. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Luke, who's the name? Who's that great attorney that just got that phenomenal ruling in placebo? What's that guy's It's just yeah. got a, he's such a badass. Like, Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I knew it was an Italian name. Yes. He's like so schvelt. It's like, oh my god, he's like a fucking superhero. He just comes out of planes and parachutes into circuit courts and just fights the good fight. What's that guy's name? Great ruling on placebo. Tom Duda. <laughs> <laughs> I would give anything to watch Tom Duda parachute out of a plane. Do you think he would clutch his pens, those Tom Duda pens, as he's just parachuting out of the plane? I think so. 
All right, wh- I, I guarantee you use those pens. They I are ste- nice pens. I've told, I've been on record. I steal them all. When Rick Merrill looks away, I steal like twenty of them. Because I've never seen a Jerry Marzullo pen. I'll tell you that right now. No, come on. Who would use it? Right? Be stabbing each other in the eye, writing nasty notes at each other. They probably wouldn't work. It would explode. It would be the, everybody would be walking around with a pen thing, the, the the ink explosion in their top pocket. So. Plus, what would mine be? I don't know. I mean, oh. you'd have to give out pocket protectors with those pens, uh, Jerry Marzullo that pocket I would protectors. Do as a pocket protector, that I would do. Yeah. By the way, I told Margaret Angelucci the next time I go to her office, I'm going to dress up like Margaret Thatcher. It's <laughs> really awesome. Take pictures. I had. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, all right. So, what is our next? Uh, we got another one regarding retiree health insurance. Um, that just allows. Again, it requires what we believe to already be codified in the fireman's continuation benefit of being able to modify your insurance um, if it's required of you or your circumstance that add dependents. Um, right in and around the time when you're leaving your employment, when you're going to be retiring. There's a cooperative of municipalities up north that um, are creating policy that restricts that ability. And the problem we have is there's individuals that uh, intend to do that at retirement and then are being told that they cannot because they missed they the missed open the enrollment deadline. period. Yeah, um, And that's a significant deviation from practice. So that's something we're going to try to correct with the legislation. That would be a big legislative fix. I remember that because pre-COVID, that was kind of a uh, – and it's amazing how COVID keeps your eye off the ball, right? But, yes, that would be a, a big legislative fix for – some municipalities that have tried to uh, put these magic time limits on that. So that would be, that would be huge. So no uh, moving the pension to, it's great. I had to say that just, God. So I can remember this talking like in 2010, 2011, I I still had guys coming up to me saying, you know, oh, I heard that they're going to introduce this bill that it's going to be 80% of pay after 26 and a half years of service. Now, remember, this is when Lehman Brothers imploded and General Motors was getting the bailout, et cetera. So there's nothing like that on the horizon post-COVID, correct? You would be surprised the questions that, and I'm sure you guys see it too, right? Like, can you reduce a bill that, you know, it's 100% of your pay after five years of service? Sure, yeah, let's go ahead. Let's have at it, you know? I just, as you guys were running through the bills, I can remember that uh, that happening. I was looking at the guy like he had three heads. So. And, and I can say I haven't seen any of those bills come through yet, but the uh, filing deadline for the House is the 19th. So anything we'll keep an eye that is, yeah, sure. <laughs> Maybe the IML introduced that, <laughs> right? The IML said, let's give these guys 26. Um, is there, but that's actually kind of a good point, good segue. Um, anything that the, that, the, the employer groups or the employer camp has proposed that is out there that should be discussed? Is there anything? That's yeah, been so I think, I think you alluded to this earlier on the first episode or whatever number you called it. Uh, President Sullivan 42. identified that on any given day, there's numerous bills that are introduced by the other side that would be detrimental to our ability to collectively bargain or pay our mortgage. And right. uh, two that that have come up so far in the 102nd, again, keeping in mind that the deadline's not up yet to introduce bills. One is to uh, kick the proverbial can down the road from 2040 to 2050, so your your fund wouldn't have to be uh, 90%. Oh, the amortization, yeah, which exactly. is always, yeah. yeah. So, so there's that one, and then uh, they, I just saw the other day that they introduced something to create tier three, which again is something that 
Every legislative every legislative yeah. session. Yeah. Now I had I remembered in the in the pre it seems so long ago in the pre-COVID days that there was discussion on the amortization period. And what we're talking about is, you know, the pension funds having to be 90% funded by 2040. Um, and that that target has moved multiple times in my career. Uh, instead of the 90% funded by 2040, uh, so whatever there's whatever the the bill is being introduced now, but there was discussion of some type of like rolling amortization period, which would kind of finally fix this issue. And I know that it seemed that that had some legs pre-COVID. I don't. Has there been discussion of that at all? So that there's not a fixed constant, or there's a fixed deadline that has to constantly be moved, but just a rolling smoothing effect in how to fund these. Yeah, I'll definitely defer some of this to anyone else in the room that might have a better answer. But if you think of anybody, right, anyone, (laughs) but if, uh, if you think back to what Ralph Martieri, uh, talked about, uh, when he's presented for the last five years, not just the last year when everyone else knew about it, um, about the flat tax and the need for, you know, a, a change in, uh, Funding. Graduated tax to add revenue for the state, which obviously did not pass, even though it had more than 50%. It didn't have the constitutionally required majority to uh, to become law. Uh, this, it's, in my mind, because I try to keep things simple so I can comprehend them, it's similar in, in the pension realm, right? So if you had a 30-year fixed mortgage, you'd be set from day one. You'd know what your mortgage payment is, right. and you'd be good. But well, that assumes you're actually making your mortgage payments. Yep, right. Th- there is that part of it, but uh, instead, being the the arc or the uh, the ramp, if you will, you know what you pay today, you're going to have to pay four times as much in 2040 or wherever, right. wherever they want right. to kick that can to. So, uh, I've actually talked with with Luke a lot about the uh, the lack of additional revenue that's coming from state associate or we're falling off the. Yeah, it's it's just, that's all so many carbonated waters. It's unbelievable. But please continue on your magic journey of pension ramps. I don't even want to hear myself talk anymore. <laughs> yeah, but that, oh, you yeah, get the like, gist, right? So if you don't pay a dollar today, it's going to cost you four dollars tomorrow when when it comes due. And then tomorrow, if you didn't have a dollar today, you're not going to have four tomorrow. So how are you going to how are you going to square that? How are we going to ensure that our members have the retirement security that they've earned? Yeah, but part of that was the smoothing. Has there been any discussion of that kind of the of the switch over from the, you know, the 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 fixed ninety percent rate over over to the, uh, you know, like a like a rolling amortization period? That would have been really that would be helpful. But I don't know if there is. That that was discussed during the uh, task force that created Senate Bill thirteen hundred. Yeah, um, but could never really come to an agreement. Again, I wasn't part of the task force, but we're obviously, we as the legislative committee are very open to further discussions. I mean, there's a, probably a right way and a wrong way to do the rolling oh, yeah. amortization. Um, and I think you guys talked about the, the bill that's introduced today by the IML that kicks the can from 2040 to 2050. Is it 2050? I was going to add, I haven't, didn't yeah. see it. So it was a 2050. So and to your earlier point, I think when I started in 95, there was portions of the pension fund that were need to be 100% funded in 2020 by 2020 yeah. 2025 and then that was kicked to 2030 yep um and then 2033 and then with tier 2 is went from 2033 to 2040 and that you know that gave them another 7 years to get their fiscal house in order so to speak but 
To your original question, we are very open to discussing the rolling amortization. There is not a bill introduced as we sit. I mean, obviously, today, if it's done the right, sure. yeah, if right. it's done the right way. But I, I do remember that being. I mean, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. It was out of the task force, but I remember that being. It was. Remember, there was some rumblings of this might actually make sense, so we Correct. should think about it. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay, Chuck. While you're here with a mic and you're not opening up carbonated beverages, is there anything else that we should? Discuss. No, I, I, I missed probably the first half hour of it. I was outside. You no, well, you really zoned. You, it was like office space. You're like, is there just a pill I can take that I could zone out for eight, ten years? You know. No, I honestly, and I'm not saying this because they're sitting here, obviously, but um, I think our members are very fortunate to have um, both Jeff and Steve. Uh, granted, you know they consider themselves new, but they have truly. Um, There's years of experience started. behind the scenes. In, in a pandemic, which obviously no one, you know, living today has uh, operated in, let alone from a legislative standpoint, and then to pick up all the different nuances, and we jokingly say nothing is black and white, it's all gray. Um, these two have, you know, really picked up a number of different things and had to because the end of May was just helter-skelter, uh, you know, I, they talked about PETA and the, and the COVID rebuttable presumption. And just everything happened in a matter of three days at the end of May. And then everything happened within 48 hours, you know, or <laughs> actually 40 hours. Right. In, of which you were up for up. 40 of it. And so. just trying to rifle through amendments and, you know, looking at, you know, different language. Um, probably, I mean, I hate to say it, probably the best way to learn, though. Just yeah. literally like thrown to the wolves. Yeah. And, um, well, and Joe is new remind, too. For, and Joe is too, it, right? Because, yeah. I just tried, I kept reminding them at two o'clock in the morning that it's not always like <laughs> this. It's, it's this government and it's a long, drawn out process. And you have plenty of time to, you know, like evaluate a bill and create a fact sheet and talk to legislators. Whereas, um, in May and in, in January, there were, there wasn't that opportunity. Yeah. But, um, Again, they've, they, they have, you know, and, and Richard would say the same thing. It, and Richard's been down there, down there longer than I have. Um, but, yeah, these two, are, they're, our membership's very lucky. It's not always like this, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. We're going to get this together. It's not always like this. I promise it'll get better. Right. That's exactly what I was meaning. Yeah. Right. Right. I so. picture you, like, holding on to Monitor's mm -hmm. legs as he's trying to walk away. Now, please don't leave me. Exactly. But. Or something like that. They're good dudes. Very good. Good guys. What else are we um, um, missing or what else in terms of uh, legislative issues or your job duties, responsibilities that we should talk about before we kind of come to the end? Well, that's about it for, for bills that we're personally looking to introduce or reintroduce in the 102nd General Assembly. Um, we're always keeping our eye out for, for the ones we have to defeat. And to anybody listening at home, uh, I know that we will send out correspondence to each local once all the filing deadlines are done and we actually have bill numbers so we can provide that to our members and our locals as well. Uh, none of this that we discussed today is meant to be a call to action. You know, you don't need to, to call anyone just yet and threaten to burwin them. You know what that means. Oh, definitely. Uh, no doubt. But... Should such an occasion arise, we will absolutely be on the phones and emails and making sure our members know and our local executive boards know what they need to do. Um, so that's kind of, kind of where we're at today. And we're not positive how COVID is going to 
impact the next few months. But for those that have are seasoned veterans in the legislative conference or those that would like to go for the first time, uh, we have that tentatively scheduled for May 18th, 19th, and 20th. So for those that are not aware, uh, during that three-day period, we come to Springfield, we talk about the issues, the bills specifically that have a likelihood of passing, whether those are our bills that we're trying to advance or bills that we're trying to kill or stop that would be harmful to us. So we, we listen to Speaker Sock, we listen to elected officials come and talk about these specific items, and then we actually go to the Capitol and we talk to our elected officials. So I've done that. Like you, when you say that, like we're actually in a state. Um, Lisa Hernandez might, you know, hi Lisa. Yep. Like you're in their office. Yep. Hello. It's it's pretty cool when somebody comes to a legislative conference for the first time, trying to grasp everything that's happening, watch democracy take place in front of them, and they get to ask their state senator or their state representative to come off the floor of the House or the Senate and you know talk to them about their their given issue about our firefighter yeah. issue. So it's a it's an amazing experience, and I highly encourage you guys to talk to your local executive board, see if you can go to that again, May 18th, 19th, and 20th. It is, you know. There's the Springfield nightlife. That's always a, 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 a Spring, attraction. Springfield is a booming metropolis, and it never lets you down with fun. It never lets you down with fun. That is, I, I think you got to leave it at that. That's it. It's, it's a booming metropolis. That's a mic drop. It's a booming metropolis, and it never lets you down. Jeff, is there anything you could do to, to top the Springfield comment? I don't think so. Yeah, there's no just... way. I just uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's great. Uh, I think you guys are doing a lot of good work here, so I enjoy it. Okay, cool. Luke slash Timothy, is there anything else that we're... No, I hope it was beneficial for our listeners out there, and we'll have another episode out to you soon. So, uh Right. Keep us going so we can do episode 1020 next time. Sure, it is what it is. Uh, and again, just quickly for if there are any topics or things that you want to – or any feedback would be great. I, I, after the Bruno episode, I had people randomly sending me text messages of like labor books that they had purchased that he was talking about. Like, oh, I read this or how about this one? So that was kind of cool. It means it's something you know, we actually read every once in a while. It's not all fantasy football. So that's good. Uh, but it's been great. And, and keep the comments coming or topics and feedback and, and lie to us and tell us how great we are. And we'll see you next time. Right. So for all of us here at Fire and Iron Media Studios, amazing place. Uh, stay safe out there. Um, be careful. Take care of each other. Take care of the police. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. See you later. Mm-hmm.